What's up, everybody? Well, the Super Bowl happened, obviously. And now, with the Super Bowl titles under his belt, Patrick himself as at this point in his car, uh, one of the best quarterbacks we've seen in the NFL. Now, I don't know if I would go so far as to call him the best uh, quarterback of all time. For, for me, per, to me personally, um, you have to at least play an entire career um, or almost an entire career uh, to claim that status. So that, that is why I cannot call Patrick Mahomes the GOAT just yet. But he is clearly on that path right now. I'm David Street, guys, and this is Total Sports Talk. What's up, everybody? I'm David Street. You may notice that Matthew uh, is out. Um, he has to uh, take care of a uh, situation uh, with, with his uh, with his wife, um, but he'll be back by next week. But in the meantime, this is my co-host Ed Smith. Welcome, y'all. Indeed. So Patrick Mahomes, three-time Super Bowl champion. Clearly has established himself as one of the best quarterbacks we've ever seen. And here's a fun fact that a lot of people might may not know. Um, we only have four active QBs that are Super Bowl champions. And to tell you the truth, I'm not sure I know all of them. There's Patrick Mahomes, obviously. There's Matthew Stafford um, when he won with the Rams a couple of years ago. And then, Ed, who else? Russell Wilson. Oh my gosh, how could I forget about him? Yes, Russell Wilson. And that guy, Aaron Rodgers. He's the, is- the last of four guys that are on active NFL rosters under contract. There were two other ones, Nick Foles and Joe Flacco, but as the season has ended, both of those are not under contract for next season uh, at this point. So dealing with just four starting QBs that have won the Super Bowl in the league under contract right now. Well, you know something? The fact that I totally forgot about Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers, I think, I think to me, just kind of falls into the notion of how the NFL is just about ready to uh, move on from these o- older dudes and embrace younger guys like Patrick Mahomes and, you know, Josh Allen and, and those guys. Because – Aaron Rodgers and uh, Russell Wilson, not one time today when I was thinking about, okay, who else won the Super Bowl? Like, who else is a Super Bowl winning QB that's active on a roster? Not once did those guys cross my mind at all. Yeah, and it's easy to overlook them because it's been over 10 years since they were the Super Bowl champions. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Um, but... There's still plenty of young QB talent out there, and there's plenty of uh, QBs out there who clearly have the potential to uh, win their first uh, Super Bowl. So why don't we go into that, Ed? And when I think about who are the next three QBs to win their first Super Bowl, to me, most obvious names that come up are Josh Allen, just because the Bills are always knocking on the door. 
Justin Herbert, because now with uh, Coach Jim Harbaugh, I think we're going to see his uh, potential fully unlocked. And then the third one, I was kind of stuck between Joe Burrow and Lamar Jackson, because on one hand, Joe Burrow has gone to a Super Bowl, and when we look back, that Bengals roster had no business being in the Super Bowl whatsoever, right? So Joe Burrow has that experience. But then you have Lamar Lamar Jackson, and like as of right now, and also set up for the future, I believe the Ravens are better than the Bengals right now, and I believe that they are better set up for postseason success. So that is ultimately why I uh, I pick Lamar over Joe Burrow, but it was not an easy choice for me. So those, those would be my three, Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, and Lamar Jackson just slightly over Joe Burrow. What about you? Agree, disagree? Well, I'm actually going to disagree with all three of those. And the closest one that I feel is going to be in that conversation is Lamar Jackson. And that's simply because I'm looking at the financials of all this as well as being a factor of who can make it to the Super Bowl before anybody else. The Baltimore Ravens, they're very good with the salary cap. They know how to mitigate you know, different positions, uh, different levels of players, have a nice mix between old and new, work rookie contracts to get older veterans in, and really play that shell game of what the what the salary cap really is. I feel like the the window for a championship for Josh Allen is pretty shut. They are so far over the cap right now, it is ridiculous. They are only exceeded in uh, being over the cap by San Diego. So mm-hmm. that takes out Justin Herbert. So it is going to take a miracle to get either one of those franchises in line enough to keep the talent that they have to keep them knocking on the door. If the Bills didn't beat Kansas City and make it past them this year, they're not going to do it. And that's just the long and short of it, in my opinion. Now, I'm looking at some other guys that that are they were all different from what you had, David. And I'm going to start with my man here in Texas, C.J. Stroud. You know, he hit the ground running. You know, the NFL Rookie of the Year, you know, which whichever sponsorship had the rookie of the year uh, award at the NFL honors. He is the guy that stands out to me first for a couple of reasons. One, he's still got four years on his rookie contract and he's already playing like a veteran. So the more you can build around him with uh, the draft picks that they still have, going into this draft class, you can add more talent and stay young and create a open window for at least the four years that he's still under that rookie contract and kind of build the other parts of the roster. Very similar to what San Francisco has done, only you're not dealing with a minimum contract the way that you are with Brock Purdy. Speaking of Brock Purdy, he's my second one on this list for pretty much the same reason. He's got such a built-up roster around him, and the fact that he's only making a million dollars this upcoming season, that leaves so much more space for that roster to continue to stay banded together 
and make another run at the Super Bowl. You just need Mike Shanahan to run the ball when he's got a lead. Or, I don't know, maybe put give a better game plan to Brock Purdy to distribute or better clock management skills or not fire your defensive coordinator. That was the main reason why you stayed in that game as long as you did. You know, there, there's a couple of things going on there that maybe get a little bit better at when you get back into the Super Bowl and you have to face the Chiefs again, which I think at this point, the Chiefs are already the favorite to go back for the third time. So, I don't know. I, I don't know if the Chiefs are going to three P because one, um, we have never seen a three P champion in the NFL. However, we have definitely seen teams, you know, represent their, their conference like three, four, five years ago. Case in point, the Patriots from from a few years ago. So I don't know if the Chiefs are going to three P, but I can definitely see them uh, representing the AFC for the third year in a row. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, when you looked at uh, teams before the salary cap, you saw the Bills, you saw the Vikings, you saw Cowboys, you saw the 49ers. This salary cap thing is not designed to have dynasties. Hmm. But here we are, the second dynasty of the salary cap era, and it's the Chiefs. You know, we're through with the the dynasty of the Patriots. Now mm-hmm. we're on the dynasty of the Chiefs. And it's not supposed to happen. It's not supposed to work like that. So it's it's actually a testament to that organization from the hunts on down, making sure that everything is in line and the culture stays alive, despite the moving pieces that free agency obviously gives you and the seller cap obviously forces your hand to make. I wanted I wanted to ask this um, on our uh, previous episode, but I totally forgot, and I want to ask it now before sure. the subject matter becomes totally ir- ir- irrelevant. But uh, you know, we have not seen a, a repeat Super Bowl winner in twenty years. Obviously, the Chiefs are the first team to repeat in twenty years. Why? Like, why is why is this Chiefs team the, the first to accomplish that in twenty years? Like, we have like you know we had the the Patriots in the late twenty ten. Obviously, we know they repeated in 03 and 04. They were the last team to do it. But, you know, we had the Patriots team in the late 2010s that won three Super Bowls but did not repeat. Um, You know, the Eagles winning the Super Bowl, and then they didn't repeat. And, heck, I mean, when you think about it, the last team to almost accomplish the the feat of repeating was the Seattle Seahawks when they won back-to-back NFC championships. And they they, they almost pulled it off until Pete Carroll did something. One yard. One yard. Yeah. So, <laughs> so Ed, why is this Chiefs team the first team in 20 years to repeat as Super Bowl champions? When you go back and look at the teams that have repeated in this league, what's the common thread amongst all of them? The I would say they coach, have- the head coach and the quarterback are synonymous with each other. And at this point, Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes are synonymous with each other. That's if you want to boil it down to one thing, that's it. You know, everything else can, you know, be changed, be moved. You'll have weapons, you know, that stay with you. You'll have weapons that go away. You'll have defenses change. You'll have coaches change. 
but that head coach and quarterback, starting quarterback, being synonymous with each other, they are always the same across the board. You look at Aikman and Jimmy Johnson, You even though one of his uh, Super Bowls was with Barry Switzer, which we all know that was a joke. Uh, you look <laughs> at, uh, as you mentioned, the Seahawks, Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson, they became attached at, at the hip. Uh, you look at Bill Walsh and Joe Montana. Uh, you look at Terry Bradshaw and Chuck Knoll. I mean, we could go on and on and on uh, going with these teams that have success for multiple years in a row, and it is that same scenario with every single one of them. You'll have your one-offs like your John Harbaugh's with Joe Flacco or uh, your your uh, Brian uh, Brian Bellinger with uh, Trent Dilfer. You'll have your one-offs there. But sustained success always has that same formula uh, with the head coach and the starting quarterback, which that leads me to my third uh, third quarterback that I'm seeing will be one of the next quarterbacks to win a Super Bowl, and that's going to be David. Can you guess? Let him bake. No, <laughs> Jordan Love. Jordan Love oh, on the floor. Of course, of course. Hey, right now they're the sexy pick. The Packers are the sexy pick to be the you know next up and comer in the yeah, next. Yeah, they kind of like. They, they kind of remind me of the Lions last year. I mean, I think everybody who knows me and everybody who's watched the show, they know that I, that I picked the Lions to win the NFC. And the Packers, in a way, they sort of feel, you know, feel, feel the same way. It's like they're not the obvious favorite, but they are an up-and-coming team like the Lions were last year. Absolutely. And they have so much draft capital coming up. Uh, I looked at 11 picks in this mm-hmm. draft. They're already the youngest team in the league. So this is a franchise that they are going to be wide open for a tra- championship for many years. The Really, the only contract that I see you know, holding them down is Bakhtiari, which he has been so inconsistent with injury over the past four years since he signed the contract. It's like he signed the contract, and then like two weeks later, he had an ACL tear and was out. Then the next season, he was nursing and then had another Achilles injury. It was just one thing after another with that guy. He has been stealing money from the Packers for years now. And I would not be surprised. I I have no sources on this, but I can see the t- some tea leaves. I would not be surprised if the Jets try and trade for Bakhtiari this year and give the mm-hmm. Packers even more draft picks to work over the next couple of years. Because as anybody that's a Packers fan knows, they build their team through the draft, not by overspending on free agents that have already had their run. You know, with uh, older players that are that they know are past their prime but are still effective. We have picked those up uh, periodically over the years and done well with them. But as far as a core of the team, it's always been build up through the draft, let them all develop together, and create that open window for championships going forward. 
know, the case in point, Julius Peppers. You know, he was over the he was over the the pinnacle of his career, but he helped create a winning culture in the Packers locker room, you know, versus a Jordy Nelson and Devontae Adams all getting drafted about the same time. And they built up to one of the most dynamic wide receiver tandems in the league uh, while they were cooking. So those are my three. David, do you have reactions on those? I'm just really glad that we actually did end up having completely different quarterbacks because to be honest with you, when I was writing my notes down about who the next three quarterbacks are going to be to like to likely win the Super Bowl, I'm thinking like, okay, like this is the guys I'm writing down, um, Allen, Jackson. I mean, this is this is pretty obvious. This is what everyone's going to say. But I'm definitely glad that you had a, a had a, a different choice, different choices than than I did. Yeah, there's a lot that's out there. I'm all, like I said, I'm looking at not only the players on the field, but also the business side of it, because that is a larger part of NFL franchises and NFL roster building than mm-hmm. what most fans really take a look at. No, yeah, for sure. I mean, a lot of a uh, a lot of fans definitely don't look at the business side of things. Like they'll they'll just look they'll just look at a team that a do they have do they have a great quarterback? B, do they have a recent history of success? Okay, that's the team I, I, That's the team I'm rolling with right there. Exactly, exactly. And with so some teams like the Bills, they invest so much money to get top-end talent and sign them for long-term that when they have younger players that develop and have to re-sign them, they don't have the cap space to do it. They don't have the cash flow. It's just part of the business. And that is what gets a lot of these franchises in trouble. The ones that don't manage the cap very well and try and spend overspend for talent in the short term and backload contracts that they then have to pay out either through bonuses or lagging the overall payment. Whereas, if you can manage your contract effectively, you don't have to do that and hinder the future of your franchise because of it. Yeah, no, 100%. I, I totally, totally get what you're saying. Um, and guys, you know, two dudes talking to you guys talking, you know, who else does that? You see that, you see the picture down there, guys, guys night. You ever want to know what, what, what guys like to talk about when they're uh, getting off work, when they're at the bar, they're just chilling by the fire um, well, tune into uh, tune into a uh, guy's night. Uh, Rob, Dave, and Phil bring the heat as far as politics, uh, religion, uh, cu- culture, how to, how to be men. Oh, and coffee always about coffee. Courtesy courtesy of Rob, you should check out his coffee company, uh, North Arrow. Um, but yeah, you know, um, just uh, three dudes, uh, totally um, unscripted. Just say what's on what's on their minds. And if you ever want to know what it is that that guys talk about. Just tune into an episode of Guys Night. You can check them out on uh, American Daily Press, which is where you can also catch catch our show and uh, other content. Um, so, Guys Night, don't miss it when you when you can. Um, Ed, why don't we move on to uh, another subject here, and that is, um, you know, uh, obviously we have the uh, the NBA All Star Weekend, uh, you know, coming up, and uh, well, actually. I'm going to let 
enough with this since I uh, let, let let off last time, and I think you, uh, I think I have a good question to ask. Sure, uh, with the All Star games in general across the major sports, the games themselves have just become just they are exhibitions, but they have become so unwatchable because of the lack of effort as players have gotten more, uh, more higher salaries than what they did say 20, 30 years ago when they actually cared. I remember the pro bowl being a knockdown drag out actual football game. It isn't anymore. So, my question to you, David, is are all-star skill competitions like NBA All-Star Saturday night better than the all-star games in all sports? I don't know about I don't know about all sports, but to me, I definitely feel like it's that way in the NBA because I feel like I feel like the actual NBA totally uh, predictable, not in terms of who's going to win. But just in terms of you can just expect the same old all offense, absolutely zero defense nonsense, you know, in uh, in the actual game. Whereas with the competitions like the like the uh, three point contest or the you know slam slam dunk contest, slam dunk contest, those have kind of become uh, more unpredictable because you really don't know uh, what's going to happen. So in that sort of sense, I feel like the skills competitions from the from the NBA is more entertaining than the all-star game game itself. Now, that being said, at least especially when it comes to the slam dunk contest, I mean, personally, my biggest gripe with the slam dunk contest is that there's been times, there's been years where, to me, the guy who won the NBA slam dunk contest clearly was not the best dunker at all. You know, he, he, he just, he didn't really go through any obstacles. He didn't really you know, dunk any over anybody. He, he just had a basic windmill dunk or he just, just a very, 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 uh, you know, basic dunk. And, you know, it's not like, uh, God, who's that, who's that one dunker play for the Vince Carter, you know? I mean, we, we don't have guys like Vince Carter anymore. It, it, it just feels like, and I'm not saying it's like this every year, but it just feels like generally speaking, we just get the most cookie cutter dunks. I feel like there's only so many dunks that the human body is actually able to do without being enhanced in some way through trampolines or other launch mechanisms or maybe even set it up to where you put the goal 20 feet high and you get in one of those dodgeball arenas and you know, go to dunk using those. I feel like that would be the next evolution of it because there's only so many dunks that on so many ways you can put a ball through a hoop. And that's just my opinion on it. When I was uh, growing up, it was Michael Jordan for a couple of years. Then you had Muggsy Bogues and Michael Jordan himself said, the dunk competition is for shorter people because that is what's more exciting. It's not exciting for somebody like Sean Bradley, who's seven foot six, to go up there and gunk. And, <laughs> you know, that's not what the people go there to see. They go there to see people fly. And with everybody being as tall and as big as they are, they're flying, but they're not 
able to create a lot of theatrics without the extra pieces to it. To your point, they could have basic dunks, but they have to do something theatrical Mm. to help it along. Like the year that Dwight Howard it was, uh, jumped over the car. That was that was theatrical. That was something to get excited about. I myself, even as a kid, loved the three point competition because it was it was sharpshooters at that point. It wasn't everybody in the league shooting three, you know, chucking up three pointers every chance they got because of the analytics of the whole uh, three-point thing. So my favorite story of All-Star Weekend is the Larry Bird story. If you're not familiar with it, it's the story where Larry Bird walked into the three-point lock uh, before the three-point competition, walked in the locker room, took a look at all of his competition and said, okay, so who's coming in second? You know, that, that was just a... That was Larry Bird. He was in everybody's head all the time. And he went out there and he performed every time he got out there. So the the three-point competition, there is more. Will it happen? Will it won't happen? Because of the percentage of what that shot is, it just becomes a much more exciting competition in my mind than the game, and even the dunk competition. What are you thinking, David? Yeah, uh, no, I uh, I think you make a great point. Um, I think I think you uh, I think you make a make a great point. I mean, we're all we're both in agreement here um, that the dunk contest is definitely just not the same as it, as it was before. And I I actually and I never really put this into consideration, but I really like that you brought up the fact that people get more excited when short people as like at least short for you know in in nba terms people get more excited when those when those players are the ones doing the dunk contest i mean you you remember uh nate robinson five nine like i'm taller than nate robinson by two inches okay and that dude won the dunk contest like two or three times i think Mm -hmm. because he flew and that's what people want to see simple as that yeah and they're and when you start looking at some of the other sports that do these uh, these skills competitions, the one that comes to mind that everybody knows is the home run derby. The it's home the best derby by far, in my absolutely, opinion. absolutely. Because when you look at the All Star Game for baseball, you don't want to have pitchers throw out their arms, you know, in an exhibition. That is terrible for the second half of. 162 game season to have a pitcher maybe you know throw one just right where it pops a tendon or the shoulder goes out you wind up with Tommy John surgery you know just a myriad of things can happen whereas in the home run derby you get a packed house to see people launch the ball chicks dig the long ball we all remember the I don't know if y'all remember the commercial of uh, Tom Glavin and Greg Maddox, you know, mm-hmm. as pitchers working out hard and, you know, getting ready to hit, uh, getting ready to be hitters. And they got noticed by all the, all the girls 
I think it was Heather Locklear that was in that commercial saying, mm. hey, Tom, hey, Greg, after they were hitting the long ball. Chicks dig long ball. That's no doubt about it. And nothing does that better than the home run derby. Do they have some great stories in it? Absolutely. Like, I, was it Rutschman last year that had his dad had tossing balls to him uh, when they were at the Seattle one? It may, it may, it may have been Rushman. Didn't, 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 didn't Juan Soto also have his dad throwing to him? I think so. I, but you also wind up with players that their high school coach will throw mm. for them. Uh, somebody that was very important to them in their development will throw for them. That those are great stories to have, but you still get all the offense. And it is impressive when you see the ball travel over 440 feet, which, by the way, gives the batters an extra 30 seconds of time on their clock every time that they do it. So they're aiming for that 440, and it is, like I said, it's impressive to see. Well, you kind of took the words out of my mouth. I mean, one of my favorite, if not my favorite thing – about the uh, home run derby um, is the fact that it, you know, I love it when, when, when players have their dads, uh, you know, pitch to them, you know, these, these are, these are professional athletes, so they can't see their, their dad that much. And listen, obviously like they're at a point where like, they're not going to be living with their dads unless they're dealing with like with an emergency situation. I mean, we know that there are professional athletes um, who do uh, live with their, with, who do live with their parents. And especially in today's times, that's becoming more and more uh, understandable. But for the most part, these are guys who are married. They have families of their own, right? Um, but even so, like in normal circumstances, you would have guys who would probably hang out with their dad like once a week or, or call them every day or whatever. Like that relationship, your bond, the bond you have with your father never go never goes away. And for these guys, the all-star, the home run derby is one of the only times during the year where they can have that true uh, father-son uh, bonding moment. So I I love it. 100%. And that is part of the allure of baseball is fathers handing it down to their sons. You know, we all, we all know the movie Field of Dreams. You know, hey, Dad, can I have a catch? That That's the quintessential thing of baseball, you know, when you're passing it down from generation to generation. Mm-hmm. Now, one thing that uh, I was watching a generation ago was the skills competition with the NFL, not this newfangled thing that they've got that nobody really cared about over the weekend and the flag football game now, <laughs> you know, that whole mess of a thing you know, just to try and get ratings yeah. <laughs> more than people in the stands. But when I was growing up, they had a quarterback competition where it, uh, I'm trying to remember the uh, lineup of it, but it was like Jim Kelly, uh, Drew Bledsoe, Brett Favre, Jim Harbaugh, all on this uh, field, and they would do in-and-out drills. They would do distance drills, accuracy drills, they had drills where they, where there were uh, 
carts that would run up the sideline and it was to see who could get enough touch on the ball for it to land in the bucket. Those were some of the really nice drills as well as the long distance throw competition. It was really fun to see like a Philip Rivers, Ryan Leaf, Peyton Manning, all trying to see who could out throw each other down the field. Because, you know, just like we talked about with uh, the baseball skills, chicks dig the long ball. I want to see how far somebody can chick could chuck the ball down the field. Yeah. That yeah. was always one of the fun things. And the other one, and I know it seems kind of dumb, but the fastest man in the NFL competition was always such a treat uh, growing up. And I'd like to see that one come back because how as fast as some of these players have gotten, it would be so much fun to see them do a 40 time, just like they do at the combine, but side by side to see who is the fastest through heats. Basically a track and field competition with the fastest guys uh, in football. I remember uh, Deion Sanders and Daryl Green going at it. Those were, that was a rivalry. There was a rivalry in these skills competitions. You don't see that now because everybody loves everybody and everybody's getting paid and everybody's just hanging out and having a good time and all this stuff. That's comp- That was competition. I want to see that type of competition again. So those, in all three of these cases, which I can't speak to hockey, although I have watched a hockey uh, skills competition, those are fun. I haven't seen the game though. I don't. I can't really speak to that, David. Maybe you can step here, step in here in a minute. But in all all these cases, I prefer watching the skills competitions more than the actual game because it matters more to the players at this point than what the actual exhibition of all stars really are. Yeah. Well, I hate to break it to you, Ed, but like I do keep up and follow hockey, but I don't really care about the skills competition from from hockey. So sorry, sorry, buddy. Speed skate, slap shot. But okay, I that'd be fun. Okay, but I tell you what, though, like earlier, like earlier, you mentioned, uh, you mentioned uh, field field of dreams. Ed, I don't know about you, but the first time, and great movie, by the way. Like overall, it's a fantastic movie. But the first time I ever saw that movie, man, that 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 uh voice going if you build it he will come that scared the absolute hell out of me now a voice out of the cornfield i i i had other movies that scared me about cornfields growing up more so a a voice talking talking about baseball and showing a baseball stadium had no effect on me uh, when talking about that. I was worried about the children of the corn more than I was about the baseball in the corn. Was it ever like, was it ever revealed who like who that voice was? Like, was that, was that the voice of his, of his father or was it just some random voice or maybe it was a voice of God? No. Gosh, it's been so long since I watched it. Uh, just because I don't, I don't want to cry every six months. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. I want to say that it was finally revealed that 
it was him in his own mind saying that voice, oh. not necessarily the ghost saying it, because he had such a connection to what was happening, and mm. that's how it all came about. Yeah, no, that that makes sense. I just felt, I just felt a shiver kind of go go through my body. As I said, fantastic movie overall, but even these years later, that voice still kind of gives me the creep. <laughs> Um, but, uh, but, uh, move, uh, moving on before we get a nightmare, <laughs> no, but seriously though, um, if you guys missed it, uh, the Orlando, the Orlando magic, uh, retired Shaquille O'Neal's number and Shaquille O'Neal is now officially the uh, first, uh, player to have his uh, Jersey retired by, uh, retired by the magic. If you don't know, that's my NBA team. And previously the number that we had retired was six, which of course represents the, uh, the six man. AKA it represents the uh, fan base. Now this, this decision was a little con- kind of controversial. I mean, I've seen a lot of magic fans saying, well, what about Dwight Howard? I mean, after all, Dwight Howard is the team's all time leading point scorer and all time leading uh, rebounder. And he's played for the magic a lot more than Shaq did, which obviously that's why he's our all time leading scorer and rebounder. So I get it. But I don't necessarily hate Shaq being the first player to have his number hired by the Magic, and here's why. Shaq may not be the best player in Orlando history as far as statistics go, but we have to remember that Shaq was essentially the player that put Orlando on the map. You know, when when Orlando, like, nobody really cared about the Magic when they first came into uh, existence, And and then in the 90s, you know, they kind of just took the league uh, by, by storm, you know, when, when they went to the NBA Finals. And it was in large part thanks to Shaq. So, again, Shaq might not have the statistics, but as far as impact goes, I do not hate it at all. I, uh, yeah, I don't hate it at all. But, uh, Ed, what, what, do you, what, do you, what do you think? I think the impact of Sha- Shaquille O'Neal being in Orlando – being that first pick that they had is insurmountable uh, to anybody that comes after him because without him, he does not get them to the finals against the Rockets. He does not, uh, that franchise becomes just another also ran. Uh, We saw other expansion, expansion teams in other sports just become just another team because they did not have that kind of star power when they uh, when they got started. And I'm talking about the Rockies and the Diamondbacks. They were just another team. The Magic became a, a force almost immediately with Shaq and Anthony, Hart, Anthony Penny Hardaway. And those that remember the old commercials with Penny Hardaway, those were fun. Uh, but I digress. With Shaq and Penny, they were they were very much an inside-out team, and Shaq was willing to put in the work at that time to be the absolute best center in the league. And he dominated over the likes of players like Patrick Ewing and Alonzo Mourning. Those were those guys aren't slouches. Those are NBA Hall of Famers. So you cannot tell me that Shaq wouldn't be the first person to be uh, retired in Orlando simply for 
you know, how dominant he was, the impact that it had and making the Orlando Magic relevant more than anything else. Yeah, 100%. I mean, as I've pretty much been saying, um, it goes beyond the statistics. It's more about the impact. Excuse me, impact over the statistics. Um, Other news, Ed, and I just found this out today, but apparently the Kansas City Royals are going to build a new stadium in downtown Mm -hmm. Kansas City. Talk to us about that. They are uh, going to finally be moving on from Kauffman Stadium uh, in a couple of years. There are drawings that they've leaked out of what it's going to look like when they build a uh, pure baseball stadium downtown in Kansas City. It's an area that uh, used to be known as the plaza in in and around the Kansas City area. And he. I am super happy to see them get it because it has been way too long. They've been in that cave of a uh, that cave of a stadium since 1963. It's got a, it's got a cool fountain though. It's got a cool water fountain. <laughs> and it, there's some history with that fountain. I, that's part of the part of the allure of that particular stadium. And the big scoreboard built in the shape of the Kansas City logo, the Royals logo. I love it. I I would like to see them incorporate that, incorporate that into the new stadium. But here's my issue overall. That I'm not saying the Royals did this, but there are too many major league baseball clubs that are holding their cities hostage for new stadiums. Uh, and it is for not the amount of championships that the fans want to see right as of now there have been 16 stadiums either built or rebuilt from like Yankee oh, Stadium wow. Bush Stadium 16 stadiums erected since the year 2000 25 new stadiums since the year 1991 that's 24 teams the reason why it's 25 stadiums is the Rangers had the ballpark in Arlington and now they have Globe Life Field. So they have built two in that same time span. And the the issue I have is there are too many teams like the Pittsburgh Pirates, and I always use them as the example on this, that they take their revenue sharing and just go hoard it somewhere and not put it on the field for the fans to go want to go to the ballpark to see a good team play. It's always these AAA teams that are in major league ballparks that get poached as soon as they show promise in the major leagues. Garrett Cole is a prime example of this. He went on to uh, to the Astros and then he went on to the Yankees. It is sickening to me for the people of Pittsburgh to have to deal with a a franchise that has not invested in a winning team in 30 years. Last time they went to deep into the playoffs is 1992. Tim Wakefield was a rookie. He was a rookie knuckleball pitcher the last time that they were that deep into the playoffs. Tim Wakefield's, you know, has 
unfortunately left us at this point. But that just goes to show how long ago it's been. I really would like to see, you know, a team like the Royals, which did win a championship in 2015, by the way. You know, so they, I give them a pass on this. I really would like to see more of these teams that are clamoring for new ballparks and these these extra amenities and all these other things be forced to put money back into the roster that they're not doing because you cannot have a team survive on 10,000 seats being filled per night or 15,000 seats being filled per night in the cases of your hometown team, David, and Miami. Those are terrible. So the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Dodgers have to pay so much of their revenue into this pool that there's revenue sharing amongst all the ball clubs where 48% of it has to be shared equally, but yet they have done absolutely nothing to help that pool grow for anybody else but themselves. That's, that's ridiculous in my opinion. And I could rant on a little bit longer, but David, I want to see if you had some thoughts on, you know, just to play off of that. Well, I mean, I, I think I think the Rays are the Rays front office is is a run by a panel of of wizards men. Like, I don't know how we keep winning. I thought we were going to fall apart after uh, after Joe Madden left to become the manager of of the Cubs, and yet you know somehow we uh, we still keep winning. Yeah, no. Overall, Ed, I, I think you make a lot of uh, I think you make a lot of um, good points, and I think you make a very good argument against what the Royals are are doing. Um, but one question that I have, and this is just kind of more of a fun question. So mm-hmm. obviously, you know, the Royals right now play in a city, and that's pretty far from downtown Kansas City. Like they're kind of like out in the outskirts there, yep. and they're going to be moving to downtown. In your opinion, Ed, what like? what is more aesthetically pleasing to you? And like this just, this can be all stadiums, all arenas, any sporting venues. Do you like it better when a stadium is downtown, like stadium slash arena, or do you like it better when a stadium slash arena is like more in the suburbs, like more in the outskirt areas? There's an argument to be made for both because when you have a stadium that's in downtown, you can incorporate the downtown skyline into the stadium but there's also the problem of being cramped inside you know this footprint that isn't large enough for it to sprawl and have more fan friendly activities getting up to the stadium i've been to uh, uh to minute maid park and it was very much off the freeway you're walking from the parking lot under a couple of bridges and you're in the stadium and there's not a whole lot of room outside of that. Whereas you take a look at a stadium like Atlanta Braves truest stadium, it's a little Mm -hmm. further out, but you have so many more amenities and restaurants and things to do before you get into the ballpark. So you're not all cramming in, in the middle of downtown traffic and missing the first part of the game because you're having to fight to get there before trying to 
before relaxing into your seat in the in the ballpark. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I, I think for me personally, I mean, there's often an argument to be made for both, but I think for me personally, um, I would probably prefer the stadium that's more in the uh, outskirts. I mean, I'm being partially biased when I say this because uh, Raymond James Stadium is not in downtown Tampa. It's like about 15, 10 to 15 minutes away from downtown Tampa. But what I like about that kind of stadium is that there is more open space. Parking is a parking is a lot easier or at least it has the potential to uh, be a lot easier and as you said yourself ahead there's a lot more and you know what i'm trying to say amenities what, what's that amenities amenities all right i got it folks Amen- amenities <laughs> <laughs> yes but uh but uh me trying to uh, uh me me butchering that aside guys um that's all the time we have Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of uh, Total Sports Talk. You can catch us on American Daily Press. That's the logo down there. Uh, ch- uh, check us out. Um, also check out shows like Guys Night, which I uh, mentioned uh, uh, before during my ad read. We also got uh, Quirks of Creation, and we've got and we've got uh, um, uh, what's that? Uh, what's that other show? Uh, Britta Unfiltered, um, which will which will be coming soon. And we've got so much amazing content on the American Daily Press uh, website. So once again, guys, thank you so much for uh, tuning in. But until next time, we are rounding third and headed for home.